We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. Waited way too many days for this one. I know it's technically the same amount of days, but it doesn't feel it. It never feels it. Ever, ever, ever feels it. Welcome back to Overnight America. One last hour live tonight here on KMOX. Thanks for anyone that may be sticking around as long as Nancy has from the uh, previous hour. Nancy, how are you? Hi, I'm fine. Um I was listening to your callers recount about uh, their experience with Jack Buck, and you mentioned Bob Euchre, and I also was a Jim White fan. I listened to him probably as long as I'm 70 until he retired. And uh, when there would be like a rain delay, I can remember waking my husband up because I'm laughing at Shannon Euchre, and sometimes got Bob Gibson, if my memory, telling their stories and shenanigans that they would pull. I mean, it, you know, to, I just found it amusing. And, And then it made me think back to when I was a little girl, and we had a TV, but during the day, you know, moms weren't watching TV. And she would iron in the bedroom, and she'd have the radio on. And mm-hmm. I seem to recall Arthur Godfrey being on Camo X okay. and Art Linkletter. Have you run across them when you start doing your archive stuff? Um, sometimes you can catch them, but I don't have any audio from them that I can readily have available. I, I mean, I, have, I might be able to dig a little bit further. Arthur Godfrey, if I remember correctly, was he a syndicated radio show? Um, maybe I'm mixing it up with someone else, but he well, would come in and do shows here. I, I barely know what syndicated is now. <laughs> yeah, and I think that he was pretty much gone before At Your Service started. Let me double check here. Arthur I Godfrey. I remember hearing at, at Your Service, that word, you know, okay. uh, because that has gone on all the years I've listened to KMOX. <laughs> Right. See, I don't know if he was affiliated with KMOX in that point. Okay, so Bourne, uh, his daily radio show ended in 1972. 
Oh, so that would have been after at your service. So maybe he contributed, but I don't think that he was on Camo X at the time. But see, I don't know for sure, so I wouldn't be able to it talk about that. All I been in fifty five or fifty six. I'm seventy. I was probably five years old or about that. Well, I guess we have to go in the '60s. Someone said that, if I remember reading this correctly, he did a show once here in St. Louis where he talked about the arch being ugly, and it was like a huge topic because <laughs> someone said that. And this is right when it was going up. I think it, while it was being built, and keep in mind the KMOX Studios had that beautiful view right outside and uh, yes, straight view yes. looking at the arch. So he, if he would have, if he would have done a show here and said that, then that would have got a lot of reaction. I'm sure. Yeah, I would have noticed that, but as a little girl, you know, I just, I remember hearing Arthur Godfrey's voice, and then Art Linkletter, because, you know, we were starting to watch TV, that he had a, he was on some show during the day, Art Linkletter. where he would interview children. Yeah, but I, th- I think that the, um, let me double check something real quick, um, I don't know if Art Linkletter, did he actually have it? Are you thinking of Art Fleming? No, no, Art Fleming. I remember all those things. That's I'm talking back in the 55 to 60, 1955 yeah. to 1960 range, because okay. I would have been about five years old when yeah i guess he was doing some things here with kmox yeah it's amazing the amount of personalities and history this radio station has and it's weird because i can go through the ebbs and flows where i get really deep into the history of the radio station and learn these things and then six months will pass and i'll forget half of it it's just the way it goes sometimes maybe my memory's not locked tight like it used to be it always struck me that um again kmox i'm driving home this is like in the last 20 years from my work at a grocery store. It's 1030, and I can't think of his name, but I think his father was a big broadcaster on KMOX, and he had a show for a while. And he had this Chopper 1 tape that he would play. Carney, maybe? Yeah, uh, John and, Carney. I mean, I'm driving home, and I'm by myself, and I'm just glad it was dark because I was just laughing like crazy. Yeah, listening to the uh, the stuff on the radio. I I I'm just a big radio person, and uh, well, that's nice. Camel X has been there, and I just hope they fill Rush's spot with something good. Well, thank you, Nancy. Good to uh, hear from you today. Isn't that great? I know that there's a lot of people that have patronized and listened to Camel X all those years. And have all kinds of great fond memories and go back. See, that's even way before my time. Keep in mind, I moved here not quite four years ago. And a lot of the history that I learned from the radio station, being going through archives, reading articles, things like that. I don't have the luxury of being able to live it like so many of you had, which is just a awesome thing to be able to have and say that you were experiencing these things firsthand. What a cool, cool thing. So joining us after the break, this is uh, a guest that we had on earlier, but it was such a great interview. Margaret Coker is the author of a book called The Spy Master of Baghdad, a true story of bravery, family and patriotism in the battle against ISIS. She was a journalist. She spent a lot of time in Iraq. And because of that, she got to see firsthand the fight against terrorism during, you know, the 2000s and 2010s and her experiences about the spy master and the group of uh, Iraqis that were fighting terrorism in ISIS during that time. 
Really awesome story. I think you're going to enjoy it. Margaret Coker is joining us right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Joining us now is the author of a book called The Spy Master of Baghdad, Margaret Coker. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. A true story of bravery, family, and patriotism in the battle against ISIS. I love true stories. Tell me your connection to this one. How did you come about writing a book? Well, I grew up in a military family um, and spent a whole lot of time in my childhood explaining the places where I've been and seen to my to my friends and family. And that's kind of the reason why I decided to go into journalism, telling telling good stories about um, different places. And I, I didn't set out to be a war correspondent, just kind of fell into it, in part because uh, the 9-11 attacks changed the course of so many of our lives, and my newspaper at the time sent me to the Middle East. So I was in Iraq since 2003, I mean, off and on, but covering mostly the, the Middle East and, and terrorism issues since then. And, you know, I've, went, I've, I've sort of witnessed and, and um, written about lots of the, the arcs of, um, of suffering and triumph inside Iraq since that time, and really enjoyed reading lots of the books that have come out, you know, written by our generals, our servicemen and women who served and, and made it back alive. But there's been a big hole missing, and, and that big hole in, in this, uh, the history of the war on terror is putting Iraqis central, um, central to that narrative. And, you know, there are people there who suit up every day in defense of their nation and have been really close partners with the Americans over the course of the last 15 years. And so when I went back full time um, as the New York Times bureau chief, I had a chance to tell some of their stories. Um, one of them is the um, the spy master of, of my book. He's been um, he's been in charge of an elite spy unit that has been one of the closest U.S. counterterrorism partners in the Middle East since the mid 2000s. And unlike other you know established agencies that we all know of, like the Mossad and MI6, you know the Falcons is the name of this group. They've stayed under the radar. You know, they've worked well because in the world of intelligence and espionage, you have to stay in the shadows. But because um, they had one of the most amazing um, clandestine operations in um, in this century, the 21st century, they were able to put one of their men behind enemy lines um, undercover inside the Islamic State. Um, and so for 17 months, he was able to send really detailed real-time intelligence about the terrorist organization. He was a secret weapon in this war. And the spy master um, wanted the world to know about this act of bravery and the sacrifice that he and his men made um, to keep us all safe. When you see and hear these stories, you can see them firsthand and you talk to the people that were involved. Coming back to now 2021, I think a lot of times we look back at how the United States reacted after 9-11. And now today, a lot of people are regretful what we did in Iraq during that time, the amount of money, the amount of time, how we decided to handle it. And at the same time, you start to tell a story about how the Iraqis were getting together and fighting ISIS on their own. And we had this common goal of trying to defeat terrorism in the region. So with a little bit of um, looking back at it, do you think our time has been well spent or do you think that there's um, a reason to be regretful in how we decided to handle that? Yeah, it's a very complicated question. I mean, there isn't, I'm not sure that there is a, a yes or no answer to that, <laughs> because in some cases, it was a disaster. I mean, there's just no way around it. You know, we, um, as Americans, 
um, our government lied to us and we went to war. And it's been very costly in terms of American lives and American taxpayer money. But of course, in terms of Iraqis' lives and and uh, and you know the course of their future. But instead of going into a polemic about U.S. foreign policy, what I really wanted to do in my book was sort of mark out this history in terms of real life people and how it has affected them. You know, two of my main characters were um, this undercover officer and his um, his handler, who happens to be his actual uh, brother. And so, you know, learning about their family dynamics and the way in which the the whole world basically opened up to to them um, after the Americans invaded and toppled Saddam. You know, they came from the wrong side of the tracks. So, you know, really bad neighborhood or considered a bad neighborhood in Baghdad, and they were the wrong um, they were the wrong religious had the wrong religious affiliation. Under Saddam, but when he was gone, they were able to really, you know, pursue their dreams, and and their family had lots of opportunities. Um, it doesn't come without cost, um, you know. And the other character, main character of my book, who is the villain, you know, it's a she's a woman, and she's sort of terrifying in in her terrorist skill set. But you know, on paper, she had everything going for her, and um, through the arc of of the American invasion and then the American withdrawal. She also sort of lost it all, and she um, went off the deep end into this rabbit hole of online extremism. And instead of being able to um, make a happy life for herself in the new Iraq, she turned to terrorism. So all these, all of our actions, of course, have consequences abroad. And um, for so many Iraqis, some some would tell you that um, that they don't, you know, they don't regret that Saddam's gone, um, but they do they do still blame the U.S. for, for um, years of bloodshed as that happened as a result of, of the invasion. Mm. The Spy Master of Baghdad is the name of the book, which people can look up from Margaret Coker um, joining us here on Overnight America. In the name of this special group of people, the Falcons, is there a special meaning for Falcons in Iraq or is there a reason for that name that you know of? Yeah, so you know, throughout um, throughout history, Iraqis have been known in the Arab-speaking world as incredible, uh, incredible literary talents and incredible, incredible readers. And falcons, as as a bird, you know, in um, out in the deserts in the tribes, falcons are used as birds of prey and and hunt and hunting. Um, they don't use dogs; they they use these amazing birds. And so, these birds are known in poetry and you know, in sort of ancient. Um, Arabic stories as, you know, these magnificent, noble creatures that have a prey instinct and are cunning. And so all of these attributes kind of uh, have informed, um, you know, these the, this elite spy unit in terms of, of taking this name. Um, yeah, and so, you know, I, I, I've tried my best to do their stories justice. You know, they have, um, they have a chance to um, come out of the shadows and have the world learn about some of their, their um, very... Um, you know, extraordinary tales of daring do. But, you know, one thing as a journalist that, that we have to always be careful of is protecting our sources. And so I've tried to put in as much detail as possible without compromising um, their safety. You know, many of their agents are still in the field doing still, you know, incredibly brave work. And and so, um, yeah, I mean, the, the cunning and, and uh, as they've tracked um, incredibly... Um, dangerous people and and help to keep their nation and our nation safe as a result. Um, um, I hope everyone likes it. (laughs) 
I was wondering, you mentioned sources there. So is gathering sources in a foreign country like that the same as you would here in the United States? Because I think about here, if it's an anonymous source or someone that doesn't want to be identified, you know, you're able to background check, fact check, and try to make sure you can corroborate uh, a little bit. But when you're in a foreign country, it seems like that would be a little bit more difficult. And it also seems like uh, there would be more difficulty with accountability if the source was coming to you with false information. Well, you do you definitely. Um, it takes it takes a lot of moxie to be able to um, to fact check. That's for sure, and that's why it <laughs> took me so long to research this book. You know, of course, um, you know soldiers um, and spies, just like fishermen, they like to tell tall tales. And so, to make sure that you were able to corroborate the information was very important to me. Uh, you know, I have um, deep sympathy and admiration for these individuals, and spent much, a lot of time with um, this band of brothers known as the Falcons. And, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways to, to corroborate their information. Um, you know, there's intelligence files that the Iraqis have kept all these years. There are other um, intelligence officers, uh, you know, from other countries that you can use to, to um, fact-check information. And, you know, I spent a lot of time traveling throughout Iraq, you know, going to the places where, um, where their operations took place in order to, you know, verify is is the farmhouse where they caught um, a major suspect, terrorism suspect, is it actually there where they told me it was? You know, is it actually 50 miles away from, from this town or that town? And, you know, just like when you're building sources here in America, you realize that when your sources get the small things right, you can basically trust them with the large things as well. But um, being able to double-check was took, made, made this as a research project, um, you know, a, a really time-consuming um, event. But... Um, but yeah, there's a, there's information that I didn't put in because I I wanted to keep my sources safe there, um, and there's information that that I couldn't corroborate, which so that got got left on the cutting room floor. I wonder too the level of safety in Iraq. It just seems it's very volatile. As in one day it seems okay, the next day not so much. It seems there's always this constant threat of uh, terrorism. So is that the same feel you get when you talk to the people that live there? You know, one of the things that is so extraordinary about the Falcons is that they have managed to crack the nut of safety. You know, for all of the, um, you know, our perceptions, I think for many Americans um, and for definitely, you know, servicemen and women who were there in the mid and late 2000s, you know, it was it was a nightmare to be in Iraq. There were multiple terrorist attacks a day. You know, Bad was known as the capital of the world. People didn't know. I mean, normal Iraqis didn't know whether they left their homes in the morning to go to work or send their kids off to school, whether they would come home alive that night. And so it was, it was a terrifying place. And, you know, one of the things that got me started, um, you know, on the nugget of, of this story that I originally wrote um, when I was working for the New York Times and now that's become this book, when I went back to Baghdad in 2017, you know, there was a full-fledged war going on in the north part of the country. The Islamic State had taken over one-third of the territory of Iraq and controlled you know, major cities and towns in Iraq. And so the armies, uh, the Iraqi army and U.S. coalition forces, they were all trying to push uh, the Islamic State back out of that land. But in Baghdad, in the capital, which is where 20% of the nation lives, it was peaceful. And there was like a renaissance going on. There were nightclubs that were open and families were out in the streets at night. Kids were eating ice cream and playing soccer. And it was like, wow, what is this? Like, who has been able to make the capital safe? And so that was the original question, journalistic question I had that led me in this long roundabout mm -hmm. that investigative journey to the doors of spymaster Abu Ali al-Basri when he told me about um, the reason why 
why the country felt safe and had turned a corner. And that was largely because they managed to uh, insert one of their officers as an undercover spy inside the Islamic State ranks. You know, he spent 17 months behind enemy lines um, posing as a, as a fundamentalist, Islamic jihadi. And by, um, by gaining the trust of the Islamic State, he was able to foil the attacks that were planned against the capital. And so saved thousands of lives and, and made life normal again for some Iraqis. Wow. The spy master of Baghdad, a true story of bravery, family, and patriotism, the battle against ISIS, and Margaret Coker joining us here on Overnight America. A real fascinating story from someone on the ground talking and telling the stories of the people of Iraq during a very strange time in the history of its country, indeed. We'll continue with Margaret right after the break on KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Cardinal Spring Training is underway in Jupiter, Florida. And KMOX's Mike Claiborne is covering it all. Hear his daily reports, mornings and afternoons, and on Cardinal's Open Line. Sponsored in part by Norm's Bargain Barn and Wilkie Windows. On your voice in the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. She worked as a journalist overseas in Baghdad and other areas. Margaret Coker wrote the book, The Spy Master of Baghdad, a true story of bravery, family, and patriotism in the battle against ISIS. We continue our conversation with her now. I'm also wondering, too, when you talk about family and everything that uh, goes along with it, radicalization, it seems like sometimes some members of the family are more susceptible to that and may go that way. And you actually decide to tell the story of a female university student that got a lot of uh, nationwide attention because of that. And But you decide to tell some of these stories, and some of them may be looked at as, you know, why would you tell the story in the way that you tell it? And is that the intention? When someone reads the book, they get to a different perspective, or you just think it's important to document some of these? Well, it's definitely important to, to document things because, um, you know, there's so far um, history about Iraq has been written by people from the outside. And, and, you know, the Iraqis that I've gotten very close to and gained their trust, um, and that includes the heroes and the villains both, you know, they don't have a chance to, to, um, to tell their stories for good or for bad. And, um, you know, there's, there's not 
there's not black and white in Iraq. You know, there's, um, you know, it's not, it's a hard country to, to just um, oversimplify. Well, I guess it's easy to oversimplify, but the fact is that, you know, villains don't, don't start off as villains normally, and heroes generally don't start off as heroes. And, and I wanted to, you know, bring those aspects of, of these characters across to, to readers as well. You know, and I, I tried to, I tried to write a book whereby people who don't, you know, watch the Middle East or, you know, couldn't, um, you know, couldn't care less about Iraq. You know, these are, these are just tales of underdogs doing amazing things, you know, and unlikely heroes and, um, you know, for the villains, sort of a cautionary tale about how someone who on paper seems to have, um, you know, all that life has to offer. Um, it's an, it's um, the world was uh, her oyster, this this villain who turns into an ISIS bomb maker. And um, for lots of different reasons, um, her life soured and she became a radical. And I think that when you know we look at America right now and our law enforcement agencies are talking about domestic terror threats and we look at our friends and our neighbors and, you know, this this threat of extremism here, it, there might be some cautionary tales for Americans to see that, you know, people who should, you know, who look normal from the outside um, uh, can can fall prey to extremists, especially online. You know, some Middle East countries now getting together, signing pacts, accords to try to bring peace to that region, or at least some understanding. It seems to be that there is a common pointing of the finger to Iran that's going on right now. That's probably something you never thought you would see because of the history, and at least as long as I can remember, it's been very difficult to get any country in the Middle East on the same page about anything. But it seems to be there's some headways going on there. Do you see some encouragement that that region may be turning a corner? Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always um, people who who are fighting for peace, and, and you know, generally, um, their voices are um, are drowned out by by the violence and the instability there. You know, Iraq um, is a place that you know in the region, it you know, and even in the West, we know it as as a cradle of civilization. You know, there are Old Testament stories that take place in modern day Iraq. You know, the, the Iraqi people are, are a proud nation with, with, with a long history behind them. And they um, border Iran. So if we, there's a real, um, I think there's a real national security priority to make sure that Iraq stabilizes and, and develops. Um, and there's so many Iraqis who, who feel like the U.S. is their natural partner. And, you know, together, U.S. and Iraq could, could definitely, you know, be a force for good in the region, especially when it comes to um, overall relationships with Iran. So overall, when someone's interested in this type of uh, book, The Spymaster of Baghdad, what are you hoping that people get out of it by the time they read your stories, the things that you've been able to document, your experiences over the past decade? Well, I personally, I love Cold War spy novels, right? I, I like a good thriller, and um, I hope that um, people will read this book just like that. And then, despite themselves, maybe learn a little bit about about Iraq. But the fact is that even if these characters have names that might be hard to pronounce, and maybe you know, if readers you know never get to taste Iraqi food or, or go to Iraq, um, they'll be left with the um, these great tales of of bravery. You know, again, I grew up in this military family, and I have a great appreciation for military history, especially you know from World War II and the Cold War. You know, we know the names of of all of our allies. Um, back in those days, right? We know the names of individual uh, French resistance fighters and, you know, the kind of bravery that people, um, normal people had when they stood up to Nazis or stood up to the Soviets. 
And the war on terror isn't over. Um, that, and maybe that's why we don't know the names of our partners in Iraq who have been fighting alongside with us in order to, um, to help keep their nation and our nation safe. And I hope that Spymaster, in some ways, you know, is a corrective to the histories that have already been written. And, and you know, people will remember that, um, that Iraqis aren't bad guys. There's a lots of good guys there who, again, sort of suit up every day um, and try and make the nation a better place. Do you actually write about the food of Iraq inside of your book? You know, I, I talk about some of the meals, <laughs> yes. I mean, I had the privilege to go, uh, you know, to get... To, to really be able to draw out these characters in depth, I spent a lot of time with their families, you know, in their living rooms, in their kitchens, watching their mothers and, and their wives cook. And, and yeah, it's, it's, um, it was a real honor, uh, you know, that people trusted me with their stories. The really interesting thing about, you know, being um, a foreign correspondent, being an American in, in that nation is, you know, understanding that um, they're incredibly generous, they're incredibly hospitable, and uh, they they treated me like a sister. They treated me uh, like a daughter, and I'll be ever grateful for um, for that trust and 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 that generosity they've shown me. I would be curious too. You're right. It's it's great that they gave you that nice open door mentality. I wondered if being an American journalist, there'd be a certain prestige to it. Oh, it's an American. They got a certain feeling towards Americans or if they would be more standoffish, a little reserved, you know, just uh, what are you doing here? Are you, what are you trying to, you know, a little bit trying to understand why you're coming and talking to them? Yeah. Well, I think that, um, you know, for the spy master himself, his, his name is Abu Ali al-Basri. You know, he, he decided to trust me and had nothing to do with my, what passport um, I was holding. But, you know, you really, I, I mean, I'd like to say that, that um, there's some individual skill that I, I bring to the table. You know, I grew up in the South and, you know, I definitely have a um, kill them with kindness kind of mentality when it comes to journalism. You know, treat people with respect. They have absolutely no obligation to talk to you, and and when you show them that um, you're willing to listen, generally people will um, will tell you some stories, um, and I like stories. Um, I also I have to say, you know, I I, I definitely um, don't subscribe to the fact of of being a stone cold observer when you're in someone's living room and they are mourning the death of a son, and they start to cry. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to cry along with you because I see that human emotion and I connect with you on a very human level. Again, it doesn't matter at that point what your nationality is. You know, we can all, um, we can all feel um, sympathy and, and empathy for, for people in that situation. So those very basic human connections, I think, help um, as a journalist, no matter whether you're doing it in someone else's country or, or here in America. Um, journalists get a bad name, and, and you know, and, and for reason. You know, you go storming into um, uh, someone's front door and demand answers from them. Um, you know, strangers, rude strangers, are not going to get very far very fast. Mm-hmm. And so, I try to take another approach with my journalism. Oh, that's good. So, if people wanted to find your book or maybe learn a little bit more about you, what's a good place for them to look? Well, I've got um, my author website is up online. This is my first book. So um, I'm, you can find more about me at margaretcoker.com or thespymasterofbagdad.com. And my book's for sale across the U.S. in, in all bookstores, I think, Barnes & Noble, the big ones, um, and indie bookstores, too. I'm trying to get people to, 
to buy local and support local businesses. So if that's an option for you, please do that. Um, I worked for so long at the Wall Street Journal as well as the New York Times, and you can find lots of my stories um, online and, and those newspaper archives as well. The Spy Master of Baghdad. How special was that to get a box of books in the mail, your very first ones, to hold that and to smell it? It was great. It was what a great feeling. I mean, look, the um, COVID, my life during COVID, thankfully, um, all my family were all safe and healthy. But um, the book was actually due out um, in, in stores last summer. So my, my COVID memories are more about the book delay. It's great to see it finally um, see the world and, and, um, and um, anxious to see what readers think about it. Do you have any plans to travel back there in the future? I would as soon as this pandemic is over. Um, I did. We did manage to to send books um, to Baghdad. So um, I talked to the spy master just uh, last week, and uh, he received his book. So we had a, a, a um, an interesting, you know, warm um, re uh, reunion of sorts, as, oh. as we all do, sort of socially distant. But yeah, I, I need to get back to Baghdad soon so I can I can sign those books for them. <laughs> sign the book. How much does it cost to ship a book to Iraq? By the way. Um, it's not cheap, but that's okay. They have for all of the meals um, that that uh, they fed me, and all the ways that they helped keep me safe during during my journeys there. Um, they they deserve it and more. How do you even send that? Is it the postal service? You have to do UPS. Is there a special thing I don't oh, know about? Yeah, yeah, UPS, FedEx. Um, yeah, you got to go with the big boys. Do they question you? They say, okay, why is this uh, being shipped over to Iraq? Uh, no, not at all. In fact, you know, there's this great Arab proverb, you know, again, as I said, you know, the cradle of civilization and ancient ancient Babylon, um, you know, Iraqis have always been known um, in the Arab-seeking world as avid readers. And, and so, you know, even today, like through the worst of the bloodshed after 2003 and even today, there's an amazing booksellers market um, in downtown Baghdad, in ancient old Baghdad. And so you can walk for about three quarters of a mile and have just hundreds of, of small booksellers there. Um, and and so it's something that um, Iraqis do on the weekend. They go and they browse, they buy books, they go to tea houses, they talk about literature. And so, no, sending books to Baghdad is one of the easier things to send to Iraq. <laughs> so I guess they don't get Amazon Prime there. <laughs> they don't, not yeah, yet. Not yet. Well, it's soon. Well, I, I wanted to know, too, um, that you, you want to go back and you want to be able to visit this. What's the unfinished business, the things that if you were to do a follow-up to this or maybe add another chapter after the fact, just hypothetically, what's the unfinished business to the spy master of Baghdad that you're still trying to figure out? Well, um, you know, the the... Now, because the Islamic State, I mean, it's it, you know, it's basically as you know, it's a terrorist organization. It's it's been decimated and almost um, certainly destroyed. I mean, there's still a, a, a threat of extremism, and you know, Islamic extremists will probably reemerge in another form. But with the actual Islamic State now destroyed, um, I you know, the 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 Falcons, the the characters in my story. Because some of them have moved on to new specialties and new jobs. And so, uh, you know, there's lots of other domestic terror threats that that um, Iraq is facing right now. And one of those is organized crime. Um, and one of my characters, the younger brother of the book, Munaf al-Qudani, has become an expert in fighting organized crime in Baghdad. So it would be, um, if we can uh, sell the film rights to Spymaster, the, the sequel would be, um, would be the organized crime unit that he he now heads up. 
Yeah, so what happens after you're a member of the Falcons? You kind of stay in the, uh, like a similar business? Because when I think about the veterans that have served back in, you know, after 9-11, I had some friends that served and they come back and, you know, some become cops, some become plumbers. So what, what does normal yeah. life look like after you're done fighting ISIS if you're someone that lives in Iraq? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's um, basically, you know, that, that holds true there. I mean, some, some people, um, you know, signed up to defend the country in 2014 when the Islamic State was such a threat. And they were, they, you know, they signed up for a very, you know, a limited duration. And they went back to their normal lives, you know, running their family shops or plumbers, um, as you said. And, you know, the Falcons are in it for life. You know, they, they, um, and and lots of them, you know, there's just there's so much intelligence work to be done. Uh, you can turn your skills though on more domestic concerns rather than international terrorism. Um, it's a unfortunately um, a uh, it's a vibrant business mm. um, keeping the nation safe over there. The Spy Master of Baghdad, a true story of bravery, family, and patriotism in the battle against ISIS. Margaret Coker. Again, if people wanted to look up your book online, where can they look? Well, go to my author site, margaretcoker.com, or thespymasterofbaghdad.com. You can um, learn more about me, you can learn more about the characters, and you can, find, um, you can find places to shop for the book. But basically, I think you can find it in most, most of the major bookstores, um, from Barnes & Noble to Target, um, and also your indie bookstores um, um, locally where you live. Yeah, we have some fantastic bookstores here in St. Louis. The Spy Master of Baghdad and Margaret Coker. Thank you so much for spending time with us tonight on KMOX. Well, I appreciate the time. Um, I hope people like the book. And she joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America, KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com well, I can't believe that the show is about over. We have a couple of uh, replay hours coming up that I think you'll enjoy. We'll talk about Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, making an anatomy joke. Now, probably not the best thing to do after you're being accused of sexual harassment. Um, kissing a girl on the lips on welcome, saying that you want to play strip poker with her, an aid to you. Ugh, icky, icky, icky. Probably the dumbest thing you could have done is say something like what he said during a press conference today, which uh, you'll hear right after the break in the replay hours. We'll also talk to David Morgan, author of The Silver Manifesto about precious metals in the Federal Reserve. And later in the show, too, uh, Senator Rand Paul, some of the questioning he had on Capitol Hill had him trending on social media. But it's a very valid question, and it's one that I think we'll have some time to discuss in the replay hour or maybe later in the future at some point. You know, we keep watching what's going down in Capitol Hill. It looks like they may be taking the minimum wage out of the coronavirus spending bill, but there's still an opportunity for it to go back in there. Some opposition in the Democratic Party saying to themselves, well, this doesn't actually fight COVID. I don't know where they decided that that was where the moment they're going to draw the line, but there's a million other things you could take out of that bill that have nothing to do with fighting COVID that they could decide to uh, take out. So, Maybe we'll get some of that later this weekend, too. CPAC is happening, and Donald Trump is going to be speaking at CPAC. That's a pretty big deal. I'm sure we'll have some stuff to talk about on Sunday with it. Kevin Klein, another great whole other story. I was lying on the couch watching World War II in color. When a political fanatic hijacked a civilized nation. It was very relaxing. The world is taken by surprise. When my wife came in and said, hey, 
You need to get after those mice, the ones leaving the droppings in the spice drawer. But wait a minute, honey. Wave of Nazi No, you have to realize, she said, mice can have babies every two weeks. We'll be taken over. In just two hours, the Japanese crippled the American Pacific. So I went to the hardware store and down to the rodent section where there was armaments arrayed on the shelf to do away with mice. It made me feel sorry for them, really. They're just little guys with black beady eyes. And what's waiting to get them are the mouse traps, the glue traps, the poison pellets, and more. I got eight of the mouse traps and two poison mice hotels for the journey of no return. I came home from the hardware store and showed it all to my wife, the same way I'd show her candy or flowers on Valentine's Day. She seemed mildly impressed, like a teacher whose student was turning in a paper three weeks late. I put some peanut butter on the mouse traps and hid them all over, in the kitchen, in the bathroom, downstairs, upstairs, and I put two poison motels out, wait till they check into those. Now it was time to get back to my show, World War II in color. There was a decisive naval battle in the Pacific Midway, and then the landing on the beaches of Normandy. The direction of the war was changing. Hitler loses the Battle of Stalingrad. This allows Russian troops to start moving west toward Germany, just as the Americans, British, and Canadians are moving east. I haven't finished the series yet. I, I still have some time to go. We, we've killed three mice, though, two by trap and one by the poison motel. The poison one wandered out of the motel, and he was mincing around the kitchen in small sidesteps like a dancer when he finally keeled over, and we gave him a burial at sea. There will be other battles as the Allies press toward Berlin, but the outcome of the war at this point, it's inevitable. With a whole nother story, I'm Kevin Colleen. Oh, Kevin is so good. Why would you flush a mouse? That doesn't make a lick of sense. Um, I'd have to ask him that. Why would you do that? I, there's no way that would go down. That's just going to sit there. Oh, okay, you got some problems. A plunger, I guess, will push it through. All right. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be back again on Sunday night. If you want to reach out to me between now and then, I'm on social media. But look me up on Facebook, Ryan Wrecker Radio. Have a great night. Bye. My heart beats with the lonely rain. Face again. Change the dial on the radio. Find something playing kind of bluesy and slow. If things were only like they used to be, we'd be lying in love tonight. I wish you'd call me on the
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 